Okay, we're doing... Love Talk Radio. We're doing a food and wine show here on November 16th, 2018. And Dahl will be the host. Currently, we're waiting for our first guest to call in, Jason Walker. So we're going to have a period of silence and syncopated voices between Anne and myself, the engineer, as we wait for the guest. Okay, I just sent him a email. Okie dokie. Well, it may be that you and I are just kind of hanging out here for 30 minutes or so with the no yeah, on the first guy as we await the second one. Yeah, he, he did, you know, he did confirm, so it's kind of weird. Let me just see. So that's happened. Don has had guests that confirmed and He's even had some that he confirmed redundantly, and then they just plain forget about the show. But yeah. in any case, uh, the second guest, was he told to arrive at uh, 11 in the morning, 11 a.m.? I'm going to um, – let me just check my – that one was through a – PR person, so let me just see. And that was through Gene Wheelis. Uh, let's see. Originally, he was supposed to be 1.55 this afternoon, yep. but we changed him. Uh, let me see if there's a note. Let's see. No, it was supposed to be John of the Maple Guild is at 1025. 1025 and then we moved okay. Jason Walter of First Tee to 1055. That was based on um, on Don's note. So it's John of the Maple Guild who's supposed to be on now. Okay. But the person, oh, there we go. The, there we go. Hi, John. Who is it? John, can you hear me? Hello. Someone is. Uh, Hello. Oh, hi, John. This is uh, John. Jason. Can you hear? Hey, Jason. Uh, How are you? This is Jason Walker from First Tee. Hey, Jason. Hi. Jason, did we schedule you for ten fifty-five or ten twenty-five? Unfortunately, uh, I'm not the scheduler, so. <laughs> uh, I've got a, I've got an email that says ten twenty-five today. Oh, okay. Very good. Very good. Uh, so we're going to start with you today. Okay. All right. Um, David is also on, and he's our engineer, and he gets us sort of all organized uh, when to start. And uh, thank you for being on the program, by the way. So we're, I'm looking forward to our conversation since I love tea and I've lived in China, so it's all good. Uh, <laughs> okay. And, which, part uh, of, uh, which part of China did you live in? Actually, I lived in Hong Kong, which became okay. part of China, and um, have traveled all over China, whether it's uh, Chengdu or Beijing or Shanghai. Uh, we adopted a daughter from Hefei in the Anhui province. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, lots of different parts of, um, of China. So I think it's, um, it's, it's an amazing place. Anyway, uh... um, go ahead, Dick. No, go ahead. No, no, no. Have you? I'm sure you have been. Yes. I, I'm an old China hand myself. I lived there for seven years, including Central China, Hubei Province, and uh, oh, wow. Shanghai. Yeah. Oh wow. Well, Shanghai's changed a great deal, hasn't it? 
Uh, every time you go there, it's a new place, yeah. <laughs> yes. It sort of doesn't look very Chinese, actually, to me. Uh, okay, David, we're going to, because we, we're limited on time, I think we have another interview coming up um, after Jason. So do you want to so get us start, organized? You can start late, and uh, you'll be five minutes late. You can run five minutes late. You can start the next guest five minutes late, and then five minutes late with them. So go ahead uh, and uh, announce the beginning of this interview. Run your 28 minutes. And then I'll give you a two-minute warning via text so that you can ask your last question. So you can go ahead and begin now. Thank you, David. Well, this is Ann Daw, your host of Food and Wine Insider. Today, I have invited Jason Walker, Marketing Director of First Tea North America, to join us. Welcome to Food and Wine Insider, Jason. Thanks, Ann, for having me. Look forward to it. Jason, in looking at your background, it seems that you have been involved with tea for a very long time, both from a consulting side, events planning, and now at First Tea. Please tell our listeners a little bit about what's behind that passion for tea. Uh, As we were just uh, kind of chatting a little bit before we started, uh, I started by living in China for about seven years and uh, was able to get kind of hands-on experience with Chinese tea going to farms, talking to uh, retailers, and and just kind of appreciating Chinese teas. Uh, From there, I came back to the States, and it was about the time that I saw a a good window for specialty teas because they were coming in. People didn't really know that much about them. I started a small company, a small online publication, actually, where I was writing and doing some consulting with tea retail to help people really understand and learn to appreciate these these new wonderful teas that were coming in. Um, along the way, yeah, working with media, working with publications, uh, and then the opportunity stepped in with First Tea. Uh, First Tea is actually uh, China's largest tea exporter and the world's largest green tea exporter, and they've been at the business for about 50, 60 years now. You know, First Tea is spelled F-I-R-S-D. Tell us why the name of the product is spelled that way. So First Tea is the – our parent company is Zhejiang Tea Group, and Zhejiang Tea Group had an operation that was called in Chinese Fu Shi De. And the transliteration, the best transliteration that we we came up with that sounded more Americanized and easier to pronounce – was first, but we put the D on it to keep that kind of the one of the characters of the of the Chinese name. You know, you mentioned that uh, you are a U.S. subsidiary of Zhejiang uh, Tea Group, and that group was founded in 1950. So it's really been in the tea business a very long time. It's the largest tea exporter from China and the world's leading green tea exporter. Can you tell us a little bit more about the? Sorry, I lost our, our connection there. I didn't, didn't catch the end of that sentence. Oh, I said, uh, could you tell us a little bit more about your parent company? Uh, yes, they focus primarily on um, Chinese green teas, although they do carry a full line of, of green teas, uh, oolong teas, black teas. Um, some of your listeners may be starting to learn about uh, puar teas, which is a, a whole separate category that's often called a dark tea now. Um, the company operates 135,000 or so hectares of, um, of tea fields in China, uh, about 10,000 plus of organic tea fields. Uh, I, I, the number has changed, but it's at least about 18 uh, facility operation facilities. Uh, our newest one outside of Hangzhou actually has robots operating, so it's a more automated, state-of-the-art facility. Uh, decaffeination, we've got one of the few decaffeination facilities uh, in the area. And that is, a for those who are interested, it's a, it's a cleaner CO2 decaffeination uh, compared to the more uh, conventional ethanol acetate, the EA decaffeination, for those who know coffee and tea terms. No, that's a really good point because uh, naturally ca- natural caffeination in coffee is really now done via water versus via chemical. It's really great to hear that this, the same can be said for for tea. In 
2016, First Tee became part of the Ethical Tea Alliance. And from what I understand, the Ethical Tea Alliance has worked alongside your parent company for many years to improve their social and environmental management. Can you talk a little bit about some of the efforts with the Ethical Tea Alliance? Yes. Um, Jujon Tea Group and First Tea have been active since the, from, from the early days, of, like you said, of the Ethical Tea Partnership, uh, bringing people over to uh, places of origin, helping them understand what working conditions are like, what uh, facilities are like, and helping people to appreciate what is actually involved with uh, what it means to have an ethical tea. Um, so we're proud to be a part of that, and uh, we're, we're advancing those steps uh, as, as we can. Can you talk a little bit more about some of the specific programs? Um, I have not been involved in those, so I would have to um, dig up that information for you later. Okay. And is there anything from the U.S. side, since you run on the U.S. side of the business, uh, some of the social and environmental philosophies that you have in terms of how the tea, how the tea is processed or how the tea is uh, brought to the States, anything that we could share with our listeners? Yeah, so I can tell you that um, tea operation is different from some of the stories that may, many people hear about for example, labor conditions in uh, in some uh, farms and plantations in other countries. Um, China doesn't operate under those large type of plantation systems. Actually, a lot of the uh, the, the farms and operational areas are, are small farms. Uh, there's not a, a big agribusiness type of situation where you've got hundreds of people on a plantation and, and they're having to provide schools and, and uh, medical facilities. These are small villages in some instances or, or even suburban areas where people have all of their regular community access. Uh, they are getting, uh, they're getting competitive wages because it's, in China it's, it's a very uh, mobile uh, population at the time. Uh, it's actually people, there are some trends where people are uh, trying to leave the rural areas because the jobs are in the, the urban areas. Uh, China's general population is shifting towards a more urban um, but the government is actually offering greater incentives to keep more uh, jobs and more activity in the rural areas to uh, balance out all of that uh, urban influx at the moment. So that's to say that um, the tea workers, tea laborers, the tea industry itself is, is uh, supporting the, the people involved. Um, the government is actually the has initiated, and they've been doing this now for about 14, 15 years, they have a what's called the China Number One Document. And the Number One Document is the whole national plan for how to develop agriculture. A big part of that is improving yields of crops without uh, harming the environment. And, and so they have, they've done things like for other industries like um, pork and uh, soybeans. They have dedicated regional areas where uh, those particular crops or products are grown, processed, uh, to reduce any kind of smaller uh, facilities that may uh, be over, overlooked in the terms of inspection of uh, environmental concern. So they're actually increasing their management to protect the environment and to protect the people involved. Well, that's fantastic to hear. We're speaking with He's the marketing director of First Tea North America. I, I think having heard what you just said about what uh, China is doing to really support agriculture is so incredibly important because the move to urban has almost created some wastelands in, in China and getting back to their agricultural roots is incredibly important. What are some of the challenges for you in importing tea from China and bringing it to the U.S. market? Um, it, it would be interesting for you to talk about that and then how you distinguish First Tea from all the other branded players on the market. So, of course, right now there's, there's very keen interest in the U.S.-China trade war and how it's going to affect tea. Um, and that, that is probably one of the uh, driving questions at the moment. And 
our assessment is that it is it is highly unlikely at the moment that uh, the trade war will affect tea for a few reasons. Um, the The general stated goal of the trade war is to protect U.S. Uh, industries, um, but the U.S. does not have a significant uh, degree any commercial level of tea production. So, you know, blocking Chinese tea from entry to the U.S. will not protect the U.S. industry. Um, China also consumes 85 plus percent, roughly, of its uh, of its own tea. Uh, so they and they have plenty of room to grow in terms of their per capita consumption of tea. Uh, China economics are saying that are showing that. Uh, there are more uh, consumers, mid and upper income consumers, who are ready for quality products. So a challenge is, of course, bringing in good teas at the right price when you're competing with a large uh, domestic audience for those same teas. So tell us a little bit about, uh, obviously you know a lot about first tea, but what makes your tea so special when you talk to consumers about why they should choose first tea? What are the, some of the things that you talk about and you focus on? Yeah, so it's easy to kind of um, conceptualize Chinese tea as just tea from China. But you have to remember that China is the, the birthplace of tea. Uh, they've been doing tea for thousands of years, and in doing so, they've created distinct characteristics. So it's, it is not that teas are interchangeable. Um, a green tea from China is not going to taste like a green tea from Japan because of terroir, because of uh, processing methods, um, because of the tea varieties being used in different places. So Chinese tea is a diverse spectrum, uh, a treasure trove of various flavors, characteristics, and that's that's something that has to be uh, appreciated, and we hope that people come to love the wide variety of flavors and characteristics of, of Chinese teas, uh, whether they are drunk straight as a specialty tea or used in a, a component of a, of a blend or something else. So how do you talk about first tea to the consumer here in the U.S. to bring those characteristics forward? What are some of the ways in which you promote uh, the tea itself. So our our customers, we are primarily uh, con- we are primarily B two B. So we are reaching out to businesses to say, if you are creating a a new tea, or if you are using your you, if you are wanting to look for options for your current teas, um, we are competitive in terms of the value that we offer, and we are competitive in terms of the range of flavors so that, uh, and range of characteristics. Um, so if you're looking for a tea that is less astringent, if you're looking for a tea that uh, blends well with a certain uh, other flavor ingredient, um, if you're looking for a functional tea with certain health benefits, you, you want to be able to do those things with the right tea, the right characteristics in terms of flavor, color, aroma, um, uh, so you get the overall experience that the customer is looking for and enjoys. So for our listeners to understand, B2B means business to business. So, Jason, what are, who are some of your major customers then for your tea? Our, so... I would have I would kind of back up to say our our major customers are facilities that service brands. Um, so that's to say I could I could say names, but they're not names that you would walk up to and just pick up off the shelf. You would you would probably be seeing their customers' names on the shelf, and um, I would have to. To do that, I would, ha- yeah. I would want to make sure I have permission to do that before I go too uh, no, far no, into that. No worries. No worries. But is it that you're selling to restaurants? Are you selling to food service? Are you selling, you know, what what type of customer is your customer? Right. So our our customer takes our teas uses, and sells them either as a straight specialty tea and they may be doing that in a, a pyramid tea and packing that into like a pyramid tea bag, so it's more of a premium offering. They could be taking um, a, a component type of tea 
that they use use with into a put into a blend. Uh, and again, that that blend could be used for uh, an iced tea. It could be and so for a food service, be it food service or a consumer or a re- packaged iced tea, uh, packaged hot teas. Uh, so you would see when you go to a grocery store, you could be picking up RTs. Uh, when you go to a restaurant, you could be drinking RTs. Uh, and likely, if you are drinking a tea, enjoying a tea that has a Chinese component, there's a good chance it came from us but you wouldn't see our name on it and you wouldn't see our our direct customer's name on it either. So in, in effect you're you are affecting the tea drinking market on a pretty broad scale because your product could be found in other teas, it could be found in how a restaurant uses it and and so forth. We've been talking today with Jason Walker. He's the marketing director of First Tea North America. You know, Jason, I saw one of your varieties, and it's called dried blue butterfly pea flowers, which actually turn the water blue. Uh, please talk a little bit about the characteristics of this particular tea and why people should drink it. This this is a very fun tea, I should say, because you can play around with it so much. You the blue butterfly pea flower is originally from Thailand area. It's If you go to Southeast Asia, it can be found in a lot of things, actually. Um, people make a summer drink from it. Um, people have started experimenting and um, throwing a few uh, of the flowers into their rice cooker so that they actually come out with this vibrant blue uh, rice. Um, it's a very easy ingredient to use. All you need to do is put the leaf, put the flower into hot water and steep it. And as you said, you get that very deep, uh, vibrant uh, blue color. Um, but the fun part is you drop a few, you put a few drops of lemon into it. The acidity changes the, the characteristics. So it goes from a blue to a purple. Uh, you put in a uh, hibiscus leaf or flower, which is uh, deep red, deep crimson, and so that changes the color more to a, a, a amethyst or a purplish type of color as well. Uh, you can combine it with lemongrass and get a vibrant green color. Uh, we've done it with uh, mint as well and some other ingredients, and you get kind of a deep green color. You can get a full range of colors. And the beauty of the blue, the pea flower is you get the color without a lot of flavor components. So it doesn't throw off the other characteristics. You're able to taste and enjoy the flavor that you desire without the, the pea flower interfering. So how would our listeners come to find this product? Because it sounds incredibly interesting and fun and has all these wonderful characteristics that can change depending on what you add. There are a few online retailers. Um, we are currently launching our own version of a, of a retail package, actually two different versions. You can buy the leaf and you can, uh, I'm sorry, rather you can buy the flower, just like a loose flower and a package of, um, I believe it's like one or two ounces. And uh, we also do tea bag format, so you can get about 15 tea bags in a pack and we'll be launching that on Amazon very shortly. Um, Another fun thing that people are doing with it is that mixologists are finding ways to use it in cocktails. So if you dropped a few flowers into your 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 clear uh, liquor, like a, oh, a vodka or a gin, you're going to get that deep color that you can use to uh, create all kinds of new new drink expressions. I think that's really fantastic because I I think. Everyone's always looking for something different in their experiences, and I think that maybe they don't pay so much attention to tea. And I wonder sometimes, and I would love to hear you talk about it, what you think Americans don't understand about the importance of tea and, and especially how it's prepared. That's, um, there, there's a lot of traditions in, in China in terms of how tea is prepared that I don't think we appreciate as Americans. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I think we've one of the things we may want to touch on in the beginning is um, uh, some people are hearing a lot about green teas and the health benefits of green teas, and and that's certainly uh, an important point to note. Um, it's 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 good to know that there are so so much value in terms of the studies showing about talking about heart health, about bone health, about uh, 
cognitive benefits of, of teas, especially green teas. Um, it would be it would be useful to know though that green tea is talked about so much because green tea is is generally studied more than black teas. So there is good reason to to believe that those healthy components found in green teas can be found in in other teas as well. So don't feel like if you don't like green tea you have to stomach it to get the health benefits. There are health benefits in, in all teas. Um, I would also go on to say that there are, like you were saying, there are many different ways to prepare teas. Uh, depending on what your tea traditions are, you can get into something more elaborate like the Japanese and the Chinese tea ceremonies um, where you're having special equipment. It can be, very, it can be a artistic expression uh, as you watch it. Um, but tea can be very simple as well. Tea can be your your tea bag in your favorite cup, enjoyed at home, and it can be done with milk. It can be enjoyed with lemon. So it really is. It's it's free. It's liberating, and it's convenient to do in the way that is comfortable for you. Yeah, and I think there's um, maybe a growing appreciation uh, for for tea. The um, one of the curious things to me is when I've had, because uh, I lived in Hong Kong for for some time, is how the tea is prepared seems as important as drinking the tea. That uh, the first there's a washing of the tea and then there's the steeping of the tea. Uh, can you talk a little bit about why that's so why that's so important? Is it just a tradition, or is there sort of some chemical thing that goes on because of it? Um, it depending on the type of tea, for example, uh, you often see that taking place with um, oolong teas and perhaps some of those dark teas or those puar teas that I mentioned before, um, because an oolong tea. A lot of oolong teas uh, go through a process where they are twisted very tightly um, or they may be crumpled up into like a, a, a ball. It looks like a, a, a tiny green wad of paper. Um, and you want that first round of, of rinsing, sometimes it's called, because you want that water to kind of shock the leaf, loosen it up so that it steeps more evenly that second and subsequent uh, steeps. Um, it's a, actually kind of a way to wake up the leaf. Um, that first rinse can be kind of a thinner in terms of its body and its taste. So some people just throw that out. Some people think, but then others would say, oh, that's that's a perfectly good waste of tea. I'm going to sip that and enjoy it too. Uh, so it's um, you'll see different interpretations of that. And, and uh, I, I w- I'm not going to be the type that say that one is right and one is wrong. No, that's that's terrific. Again, we've been talking with Jason Walker. He's the marketing director of First Tea North America. I'm I'm curious, Jason. What are some of the you, you talked about some trade war things, but you know we won't touch on that. But what do you think are some of the unique challenges you face specifically in getting your product to to the U.S. consumer to the U.S. market? So. Um, I think we touched on this a little bit before, and that's just kind of the the general understanding of of China and Chinese teas and the the quality of the product. Um, I think there's this uh, perception of of China and Chinese uh, products that uh, may not accurately reflect the degree of uh, intensity that uh, China goes through to assure that their teas and their ingredients uh, meet rigorous quality standards, so that they, so that teas that that leave China go into Europe uh, without a hitch. They come into the United States without a hitch because they comply, and in in some cases even exceed the compliance levels that are expected of those teas that come in, and and that's something that needs to be shared. Um, and we touched on the ethical component. Um, I I would want to make sure that people know, like we were saying, that uh, uh, Chinese tea is not is generally a nation of small farmers. It is not those ma- mega plantations where you hear about strike labor strikes and things like that. Wonderful. You know, I it, would you say that your products are 
fairly broadly distributed across the country because of the ways in which you sell your products. Sometimes it's an ingredient in other products. Sometimes it's sort of direct. Or are you? do you have certain concentrations geographically of where your product is selling? So First Tea brings our teas in by the container load, and we bring those containers into east and west coast warehouses. Uh, our, our customers are spread across the map in the U.S. here. Um, Judge on Tea Group's customers are spread across the globe, of course. Um, so you could walk into pretty much any, any store or any restaurant and have a chance to, to enjoy our teas in one form or another, although you may not, like we said, may not see our name on it. But as the, the marketing director, do you also promote a product that's branded, and how do you do that? We have been working more with um, grocery retailers who are um, currently, they are interested in private label. Um, mm. I just came back from the private label manufacturing trade show in Chicago. It was uh, last week. Um, there was a lot of interest in a couple of areas. The, there's interest in ready-to-drink teas. Uh, those That category is growing by leaps and bounds. Um, and and um, private label tea, um, you'll see that um, a lot of the tea consumed at, in the U.S. is consumed at home, especially hot teas. Um, so the so grocery and retailers are looking for that packaged tea that uh, is competitive. Generally, one that offers a functional or health benefit is uh, is something that uh, consumers are looking for, and they want a, a good value too. Because now more and more private labels are being trusted, and in some cases, they're getting trusted more than national brands, depending on what the item is. Yes, certainly. So, Jason. Maybe a tough question. Tell me your proudest moment so far in marketing First Tea. Uh, I, I think that um, we started the year without any kind of um, strong private label uh, offering or what we call in the industry, we call a, a packer label. And a packer label, uh, I'll just kind of briefly define that. A packer label is a, is a brand that um, it, it doesn't really get pushed hard in terms of marketing. It's something that we can, you can bring to a, a, a grocer or a retailer and say, look, this is a brand. You can put it on your shelf. Um, you can see how it moves. And if you, if you like the numbers you're seeing there, we can take that brand off and put your brand on that. So it's a way for the retailers to run a test, see what they like, and then make it their own. And we kind of started the year with uh, at zero, and we have something that we are ready to put on the shelf now. So we are looking forward to uh, working with uh, several uh, major companies to uh, to let them try that out and, and and see how it goes. Well, I've really enjoyed our conversation, Jason. We've been talking with Jason Walker of First Tea North America. Jason, please tell our audience your website and spell it out since it's a listening audience. Yes, it is. And then, like you said, it's kind of a tricky name. Uh, our website is First Tea, and that's F-I-R-S-D as in Delta, T-E-A, like the drink, dot com. A link to First Tea North America's website will be on foodandwineinsider.com tonight. You can also hear all of our past and our upcoming future programs on foodandwineinsider.com. And please participate in a short survey telling us what you think of, of the show and how to improve its service to you. Jason, I really have enjoyed chatting with you. I think we could talk more about China and the distinctiveness. I've learned an awful lot about uh, the growers in China and your passion certainly for tea that has been there for a very long time. So I thank you so much for being a part of Food and Wine Insider. Thanks, Anne. I really enjoyed it, and I hope we can do it again. Wonderful. Thank you. Bye-bye. David? And our next guest is on, on the line, I believe. Hello. Are you there? 
I am here. I've been I've been listening about first tea. It's some <laughs> impressive stuff. It's pretty interesting, don't you think? It was. I think we need some. I need we. I think we need some maple to go along with that uh, that tea. Maybe there's a whole new yeah. opportunity there. You know. But, well, uh, you yeah, know, it's I funny. Really we, Go ahead, yeah, Dan. we we actually we actually have a, a a tea that we launched this year. So I was it was interesting to hear about the different types and stuff like that. So good interview. Wonderful. So David, you tell us when we can start, and uh, I'll get it going. Marvelous. And you can go ahead and begin. I'll give you a two-minute text to let you know it's time for last question and wrap up. So Anne, go ahead with your show. Thank you, David. The Maple Guild is the largest maple cooperative, certainly in the States, I'm sure in the world. And here to tell us about it is John Campbell. He is the VP of Sales and Marketing for the Maple Guild. Again, this is Ann Daw, your host for Food and Wine Insider. John Campbell is of the Maple Guild. It's out of Island Point, Island Pond, excuse me, Vermont. Welcome to Food and Wine Insider, John. Thank you for having me here. Let's start with a little bit about you. You've been in sales for a long time and handling some pretty iconic brands, Coca-Cola, Red Bull, Five Hour Energy, and even helped to expand the presence of brands like Coco Libre. What attracted you to Maple Guild? Oh, gosh. Where do I begin? Um, I'd say there were a number of things that attracted me. First off, uh, one of the gentlemen who, who introduced me uh, to the Maple Guild is someone I had worked with uh, in the past and, and truly enjoyed working with and greatly respected. So that was, that was point one, right? That's what started the conversation. Uh, the, the thing that he sold to me that really got me interested is innovation, is uh, single source, um, owning that source, right? Uh, and doing it in ways other people haven't in the past. Uh, so innovation not only of products, but also of process. Uh, and having that innovation of process lead to that innovation of products and all the different things that we can do and show within the versatility of Maple. Uh, I think that, to me, seemed to be something that was lacking within this category and within this industry. And I was, uh, I was all too excited to get on board and, and help out. So tell us a little bit more about the work that the Maple Guild itself does. Sure. So uh, Maple Guild, so we've, uh, we, we bought and tapped our first trees uh, in 2013 uh, and quickly became the largest uh, supplier of maple syrup, as you alluded to uh, in the intro, in the world, believe it or not. Um, we will tap this year, we will tap about 500,000 plus trees. Uh, so we are at, at half a million and, and marching our way to a million uh, taps uh, within a few years, hopefully. Um, and so becoming the, the largest single source producer of maple syrup, uh, in the world, uh, we also started to work to pioneer how that sap that we draw from these half a million trees is processed into syrup. Uh, and we went away from the, the old tried and true direct heat methods, right? So the, the typical way that you turn sap into syrup is, is, you, you boil it with a direct heat from underneath, whether that be wood or coal, in the same way you would uh, boil water on your stove, right? Uh, and it, it takes a long time for, for that water to heat up, right? Because it's, it's starting from the bottom. It's got to make its way all the way to the top of that pot. Well, that's how sap is processed into syrup. Uh, we came at it from a different angle, uh, thanks to Joe Russo, who's our chief operating officer and uh, I fondly uh, refer to him as the Willy Wonka of maple syrup. That, that's kind of how I view him. And uh, so he kind of pioneered this steam crafting process, uh, which takes the sap and puts it into these large steam evaporators and heats it with steam from all sides, top, bottom, sides, so that the moment that that sap hits the evaporator, it immediately processes. So we can make a 55-gallon drum of syrup in less than three minutes. So it becomes a less processed, more delicate, and as we say, more maplier, a truer maple flavor. You don't get that kind of burnt caramel, caramelized sugar tones that people so associate with maple. Instead, you get the subtle nuances of the trees and the forest and, and all of those different flavors that are there. 
so that's that's where we started, right? And that that became the backbone uh, of everything that we do and, and innovate from is that grade A golden steam crafted organic Vermont maple syrup that uh, that Joe started to create. You know, it's it's amazing to me that you only started in 2013, and you're saying you almost have a million active taps, which is blows my mind. Do the taps well, uh, actually <laughs> run lines directly to the? So, the the taps the syrup there? to the sugar house. Can you hear me? Sorry, I lost I lost you for a second there. Uh, I I think you were saying that uh, about lines that run direct to the sugar house or not. And and we'll be Anne? right back with you. I believe no, no that problem, Anne has disconnected. Yes, and surely Got she it. will call right back in. Thank you, sir. <laughs> no worries. And texted me to say she's calling back in. Great. Thanks, Dave. You're back David or in. John? Ah, thank you. Hey. So, hey, John. I don't know why I got dropped, but you know we had no six worries. inches. We had six inches of snow here. Maybe the uh, internet is a little screwy today. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, what What I wanted to ask you, because it's really amazing to me that you've only been in business really since 2013, and as you were saying earlier, you have almost a million taps, which kind of blows my mind do you run lines actually from the maple trees to the sugar house or are you actually uh, bucketing and moving in a more traditional way I'm just I'm just really curious because that's a lot of taps that is so so we're at half a million now we're working towards a million but half a million in itself is still insanely large Uh, we have about uh, you know, everything is line fed, right? Uh, so it is all, all through lines and, and a massive 6,000 mile line tap system that's currently in place across 16,000 acres uh, of sugar bush, all in the Northeast kingdom of Vermont. Uh, so what we have, or we have uh, kind of outposts or, or as we call them, there are our O centers, reverse osmosis centers that starts the processing for us. Uh, and lines are fed directly to uh, these RO centers throughout our sugar bush, uh, which were all built by hand by our, our team. Um, we we kind of do everything ourselves. Uh, we pride ourselves on tree to table. That includes building the buildings in which we work from. Um, so from the RO centers, it is then trucked down to our main sugar house uh, in Island Pond, which actually uh, used to be the old Ethan Allen factory. Uh, so as you can imagine, it's a fairly sizable structure uh, and that is where we continue uh, and, and turn all of our sap into syrup. I want to continue on the whole process piece because you also are dedicated to sustainability. I, I would love for you to tell our audience about how you preserve the forest and reduce the fuel and carbon footprint of the process that you use to make maple syrup. Sure. Uh, so from a forest standpoint, um, obviously, we keep it as pristine as humanly possible. Uh, we're not cutting things down. We're only building. Uh, from a tree perspective, every tree that we tap, and as I mentioned, this year will be half a million of them. Uh, we go out and, and the team starts the day after Christmas and begins tapping all of those trees. And when the season's over, when Mother Nature has decided to stop letting these trees produce sap for us, uh, the team will go around and they will untap all 500,000 of those trees to give them the opportunity to heal. A healthy tree is a happy tree. Uh, and then the next year, we, we won't tap it in the same spot. We'll, we'll tap it uh, six inches up and six, six inches over or down um, so that it, it continues to give those spots plenty of time to heal. Uh, additionally, 
we won't tap a tree before it's ready. Typically, that means a, a 50-year-old tree um, at a certain uh, diameter and circumference. Uh, those are all organic standards of which we adhere to uh, complicitly and completely. Uh, so that, to me, is, is one of the ways in which we are continuing to be stewards of the forest, uh, taking what Mother Nature gives us uh, and making sure that we take care of her uh, in return. Uh, from a, a processing standpoint, uh, when it comes to sustainability and, and making sure that we're being as effective and efficient as possible, uh, I, I lean, uh, again, back on Joe, our, our Willy Wonka, right? He is constantly coming up with new ways to be more efficient. Uh, and one of those things that we've done over the past uh, year and a half or so are we took our massive steam evaporators and, and Joe looked at them and, and said, what if we were to double them in size by putting another steam evaporator on top of this one, the way you might a double boiler? And hmm. he was able to design that so that we can now make twice as much syrup with half as much energy. That's fantastic. You know, yeah. I, I do want to highlight the fact that you don't use any chemical fertilizers or pesticides. Nope. So you are nope. organic, you're non-GMO. And I, I was really amazed when I did read that your trees have to be 50 years old. It just seems, wow. You know, it, something yeah. has to be 50 before it's valuable. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Which is, in a lot of other categories, is not the case. It's um, the exact opposite, right? It's the exact opposite. <laughs> As a consumer, how do you distinguish among brands that all say maple syrup? Is there a standard of identity? Is there some way that the consumer really gets to know why your maple syrup is really so special versus others on the market? Sure. Uh, we're working on that, right? I think that's, that's probably the, the toughest thing that we face, uh, especially because we're coming at it from a completely different uh, perspective or viewpoint or, or process than, than ever been done in the past. Uh, so obviously there are the grading system, right? Grade A golden uh, is the, the lightest, most delicate, hardest to make maple syrup out there. And that's the only maple syrup that we make from our original maple syrup. So that's one. Uh, we call out as much as we can uh, on our packaging and our labels. Uh, we've gone at it from, instead of using the, the tried and true plastic jugs or, or small glass uh, jug handle bottles, we've, we've, we've taken that up a notch with, with almost what looked like bourbon bottles, uh, liquor bottles, right? Something that stands out on the shelf uh, that, that the label calls out non-GMO, calls out organic calls out and talks about steam crafting and the process that, that we've trademarked there. Uh, you know, so, so we're trying to educate through that. And then obviously, you know, uh, the rest of the marketing team has a, has an education piece uh, to it, right. To talk about it on social, to talk about why this maple syrup is different than any other maple syrup you've ever tried before. Uh, and it's always fun for me to sit down uh, in my job with, with buyers or at a trade show with people uh, who have you know, prided themselves on knowing maple syrup and knowing the category and then watching them taste this and seeing their eyes light up and say, you weren't kidding. I've never had anything like this before. This is amazing. That to me, those are always the best moments. And and on your packaging, how prominent is the words the Maple Guild? Because Guild says to me some kind of cooperative, but you use that word for a specific reason, I'm assuming. I, I, we do. Uh, we, we use it because a, a guild to us uh, is a group of people who come together for a single purpose and focus on it completely and in an artisanal way. And that's how we view ourselves, and that's how we view the hundred folks that we have up in Island Pond who are now out there tapping trees or helping to create these products. Um, we view ourselves as that guild uh, because the maple to us and, and the quality of maple to us is paramount over everything. We've been speaking with John Campbell. He's the VP of Sales and Marketing for the Maple Guild. Now, John, in terms from a sales and marketing side, how do you talk about the brand and the products to retailers? 
Sure. Uh, I, I talk about it as somebody doing something uh, within the maple syrup category that, that people really haven't done in a very long time, and that's innovate. Uh, again, not just in process, but in products. Uh, I get to tell them about single source difference. Uh, and to me, that's probably one of the largest differences that we bring to the table that nobody else can. Uh, we are half a million taps strong. That makes us two and a half to three times larger than the next single source producer in the world. Uh, so we control that consistency, that quality, uh, as I mentioned, from tree to table. And, and that's super important to us to make sure that if you get a Maple Guild product, you're always getting the same consistency and quality, whereas other maple syrups, they're getting syrup from different suppliers, right? The moms and pops, the smaller suppliers, and they're blending it all together. Uh, it's not that it's a bad product. It's just different from what we do. And I think that single source piece, that traceability uh, is important to consumers. I think they want to know about that. Uh, I get to talk about steam crafting and the different process. Uh, I get to talk about organic, non-GMO. Uh, I get to talk about pricing because, yes, our product, in my opinion, and the way we do it, it is a superior product. It's, it's the best maple syrup in the world, if you ask me. Uh, and, and I mean that. I don't just say that. I actually mean that. And I love to see people agree with me. Um, so you think it's really expensive, but it's not because we own the trees. We're not a middleman who's buying syrup. We're making syrup, and we only make syrup so we can create this beautiful product from the trees and sell it at a reasonable price so that we can bring maple to the masses, if you will, uh, not only from a price standpoint but from a production standpoint because we have the supply, we have the scale that we can be sold everywhere from Vermont to Southern California. So where are you focusing your sales, and, and could you talk a little bit about how much you sell on, or what percentage you sell online versus in the stores? Sure. Uh, I, I would say right now we're probably at 95% in the stores, especially this year as our distribution has uh, expanded nationally. Uh, mm -hmm. Our main focus is, is grocery, natural specialty, uh, and, and we're focusing – Gosh, I, I want to say pretty much everywhere but our backyard. Uh, we, we focus. We we haven't focused a ton in Vermont, to be honest with you, um, because that to me is owned by those small suppliers, those those folks who have been doing this for uh, you know hundreds of years and generations down through family, and they only produce a small amount, and and they rely on the small stores in Vermont to be able to sell that. So we haven't really focused on that. We've We've let them continue uh -huh. to, to own that and love that and, 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 and keep those roots there because we feel that's really important. And, and we've tried to go outside of uh, our backyard and, and go to, you know, the larger grocery chains who don't have a name brand in maple syrup, who don't have a Vermont, let alone a U.S. maple syrup on their shelves because they're getting everything from Canada. Uh, and that's where we've really uh, honed in our focus. Uh, kind of on those, those larger chains and those areas almost furthest away from the Northeast uh, where they just don't have Vermont maple syrup. Right. And you mentioned earlier, because of the way you produce it, you're actually providing the consumer with an affordable maple syrup. T talk a little bit about you know, what your pricing is like versus your, the other brands on the market. I know it's kind of a hard comparison because some of them are not pure maple syrups, but if you could just talk about, there is a value obviously to having a, a really premium product. Uh, but if you could just say a little bit about the pricing, that would be awesome for our, re our listeners. Sure. Uh, I don't think you're going to find an organic Vermont maple syrup that's going to be better priced than ours. Um, you may find a non-organic maple syrup that's, that's a, maybe 50 cents or a dollar cheaper. You might find an organic maple syrup out of Canada that's, you know, grade A dark amber uh, that may be 50 cents or a dollar cheaper. Uh, but that's about it. Uh, so if you're, if you're in the, the pure maple syrup category and you know, you're you're looking for a Vermont maple syrup, an American-made maple syrup. Uh, we're probably going to be the best price one out there for you. Okay. 
you know, your product line is more than just maple syrup. I saw that you have teas, yes. you have creams, you have pumpkin spiced, and you have something called TAP, T-A-P-T. Can you talk a little bit about these other product lines as a part of your business? Of course. Gosh, be happy to. Uh, as I mentioned before, when I was talking a little bit about how we make our original grade A golden maple syrup, I, I, I mentioned that it's the backbone of everything else that we do. Uh, and, and that couldn't be truer. If we couldn't make a light, delicate, steam-crafted grade-A golden maple syrup the way Joe has pioneered, we couldn't do any of the other innovation that you just mentioned. So we're taking that syrup, and we're infusing it. Uh, we're not adding flavorings. We're infusing it with real ingredients, or organic vanilla beans or organic cinnamon sticks for our vanilla bean-infused or our cinnamon stick-infused. We're aging it in used Kentucky bourbon barrels to get our bourbon barrel aged maple syrup. We are adding organic nutmeg and ginger and pumpkin spices to get, thank you, Starbucks. We all have to do it now. Pumpkin spice to maple syrup, right? Um, you know, we've even taken it so that we've put it through a second steam crafting process to caramelize it a bit more and get more of that, you know, darker color and that caramelization of the sugar and added just a touch of sea salt for our salted caramel maple syrup. Uh, we have other innovation in the works from bird's eye chili infused to a coffee infused, which is, in my opinion, one of the most perfect breakfast syrups we've yet to do. Uh, everything from mixed berry to orange cardamom. Uh, there are so many flavors that blend well with maple. And when you have a light, delicate maple that can truly absorb those flavors, uh, you know, it, it's a perfect vessel for it. So those are our, as we call them, our infusions. Uh, we also have our maple uh, butter. Um, maple cream, uh, it kind of can be called either. Uh, it is a single ingredient spreadable maple syrup. It is just our syrup that has been painstakingly churned until it reaches that perfect spreadable consistency, and it is to die for. Uh, put it on an English muffin uh, with some crumbled bacon on it dip some apples or pretzels in it, uh, anything you would do with an almond butter or a Nutella, right? Uh, but it's just churned maple syrup, um, and it's delicious. We also have uh, our maple vinegar, which is probably one of the most unique products that we have, and, and I can sit here and say we're the only people who make it. Um, why? Because we have that size, and we are happy to take a sap run towards the end of the season and not make syrup out of it, which not many other suppliers would be willing to do. Uh, so we take that sap and, and that has that beautiful natural sugar content, and we let it sit, and we let it naturally ferment for about six months in our stainless steel tanks, and then we move it over to used California wine barrels, and we let it age for a year. And it becomes this beautiful vinegar that has a subtle hint of sweetness um, that you can use as a dressing, as a marinade. Uh, my wife loves to put it over bitter greens like an arugula. Um, we're going to be using it on our Brussels sprouts uh, come Thanksgiving in a few days. Uh, and, I mean, it is, it is fantastic. And it, it actually has uh, the same prebiotic, probiotic gut health benefits that, like, an apple cider vinegar has. Uh, so you can even do a shot of it for gut health. So that's... we've been speaking. No, well, yeah. yeah, go for it. John, we... <laughs> we've been talking with John Campbell. He's the VP of sales and marketing for the Maple Guild. Uh, I think it's great. You got into so many of the products and I was really fascinated <laughs> by your maple vinegar and the notion that you would take this organic maple sap, you ferment it in California wine barrels and you won a Nexty award an N-E-X-T-Y award. Talk about that award and what it's meant to the company. Uh, it, it's been great. That was actually our second Nexty win, believe it or not. Um, we got back-to-back -back for our maple butter and then our maple vinegar. Uh, and it has been great for us to introduce ourselves to the marketplace. Uh, we, we may have tapped our first tree in 2013, but we've only been in distribution since 2016. Uh, at the very end, um, or excuse me, 2017. Uh, so it, it's been really 
huge for us to be able to sit across from a buyer to talk to to folks in the industry and say, hey, these have been recognized as unique and wonderful and new and exciting. Um, so that's, that's gosh, it's, it's been great for us. We've been we've been very grateful for, for those opportunities that have been provided. And the next year award came from what organization? Uh, that came from New Hope Media, who runs uh, two of the, the larger natural food trade shows, Expo, uh, Natural Products Expo East and Natural Products Expo West. We won. Right. Uh, butter was at Expo East and vinegar mm-hmm. was Expo West. Okay. And you also have these drinks. Uh, you yes. have, uh, talk a little bit about, that's a whole other category and a whole other positioning oh, yeah. in a different part of the grocery <laughs> store and so on. So also has its own challenges. Talk a little bit about those products. Yeah, very much so. Uh, again, it goes back to the, the, the original maple syrup, that backbone of, of all that we do. Uh, because it's light, because it's delicate, because it's subtle, it is the perfect, natural, low glycemic, better for you, alternative sweetener for the beverage world. Uh, the way folks are trying to use agave or honey right? To sweeten their beverages because they don't want to use table sugar or, or uh, artificial sugars uh, or artificial sweeteners. Uh, this is a great product for that. So we started with our uh, ready-to-drink tea, uh, green tea, black tea blends with a, a number of everybody's favorite flavors, uh, which are all natural fruit flavors, uh, raspberry, uh, ginger, peach, lemon. Um, and it is, uh, you know, uh, 45 calories per serving, 90 in the whole bottle, and, and and a low glycemic natural sweetener. And if you taste it and, and you try it, you're just going to taste a lovely, delicate, sweet tea. You're not going to say, who put maple syrup in my tea? It's not meant to be overpowering, and, and none of our products are. Uh, everything's meant to be subtle, and, and, and this tea is exactly that, uh, just a perfect, subtle sweetness. Uh, and then you have tapped, which is our – enhanced water uh, that is also sweetened with our maple syrup. Uh, And and we add B vitamins, antioxidants, electrolytes, uh, so that you have this wonderful, complete functional beverage uh, that has just a touch of sweetness uh, and not a ton of calories or unnecessary sugar. Uh, All, again, low glycemic, natural, better for you sweetener. Um, So those are kind of our first dip into the the beverage world uh where where i was fortunate to spend a a lot of my my past uh career time uh in that beverage world um and we've got a couple other things in the hopper that we're working on um more in the fermented beverage line uh you know so so we're hoping to to come out with a few of those uh by next year uh that we're that we're pretty excited about um working on in in the test kitchen up in island pond uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, they've been really well received. Um, people love them, uh, when they get to try them. And, and, and again, it's an education, right. To, to show maple as a sweetener that is not making your drink taste like pancakes. Well, John, I think I may barely have time for one last question, <laughs> but I did want to ask you this question though. It seems to be coming through in your voice is what makes you most proud of being a part of this company? Gosh, uh, you know, I, I hinted at it before when saying to watch people taste our product and fall in love with it, uh, I think is probably the thing I'm most proud of. And not because I got the opportunity to introduce it to them, uh, but because of all of the hard work that goes on behind the scenes to create those products. Uh, from 6,000 miles of tap lines that have been laid to tapping and untapping a half a million trees within four months of each other to working 24 hours a day round a clock during the season to make sure that we capture all that sap and process it perfectly full guild maple syrup and then to continue to innovate and come up with new ideas and play around in the test kitchen and make these products and and, and the people who do it and the pride that they put into it to see that hard work manifested on somebody's face and in their kind words after tasting our products to me is what makes me the most proud to be here. Wonderful. Well, we've been speaking with John Campbell of the Maple Guild. John, please share with our audience your website address and you may want to spell it out so that they know what it is. You've got it. It's uh, believe it or not, 
It is www.mapleguild.com. M A P L E G U I L D.com. Well, a link to the Maple Guild's website will be on foodandwineinsider.com tonight. You can also hear all of our past and our upcoming programs on foodandwineinsider.com and and participate in a short survey telling us what guests you think should be joining the show and how to improve what we offer to you. Food and Wine Insider is also now available on iTunes. John, thank you so much for being a part of our show, and it's very exciting the work that you're doing at the Maple Guild and just uh, offer you future success. Thank you so much, Anne. Excellent. And uh, great. I'll be able to work with that. No problem. And if I may editorialize, you have come into your own as a radio host. I think you're doing a very nice job, and so does everybody else. I'll be uh, proud to edit this for you, and uh, we'll give them what they need. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. No, I thought it was great. I think uh, they were both really very informative and very interesting guests. I, I, you know, it's always fascinating to hear about these, hear these stories. And I, I think that's what makes the show really fun. So, yeah, I, I uh, just wind up listening to the show as if I were uh, a listener because it's so interesting. You're prepared with the right questions. You know, your guests, you know, your subject, you come in at the right time and you concisely ask the right questions, get out of the way, but know when to return. You're doing you you you're coming into your own where you don't need to listen to anybody like me or others. You're a natural, but you're only going to get better. You're constantly going to ask yourself how you can get better, and I I think you're going to find it. They did well by keeping you on, and I wish you a lot of success. I'll help you in any way I can. Oh, thank you, David. Well, you have a great weekend, and uh, look forward to doing it again. <laughs> okay, Anne. talk to you later. All right, David. Take care. Bye-bye.